Well, today is an exciting day for us here in the life of the church because today we are starting off a brand new sermon series and Super Bowl Sunday kicking off a building campaign here at the church that is going to inspire us, it's going to motivate us, it's going to challenge us, and it's going to help us buy a brand new building in Beaumont that will be the future home of Redemption Church. And the name of this sermon series slash campaign is called Be Bold. How many of you are ready to be bold? How many of you want to be bold? How many of you are ready to be bold? This series is not an understatement that if you learn and apply the lessons that we're going to cover could single-handedly not only change your life, not only change your home, your family, your legacy, but it could also change this church, our region, from Beaumont, Orange, Mid-County, Lumberton, Nederland, Jasper, Port Natchez, Groves, our state, our nation, and even the world. Because that's what happens when you learn how to be bold. And we're going to cover the theme of boldness during the course of this series. And the boldness is what God wants to do inside of our church. See, ships were made not to be in the harbor, but out for the open seas. They look good in the harbor, but they were made for open seas. History does not remember the people that played it safe. Nothing grows in comfort zones. And if you're taking notes, here is the tagline for this series. Pull out your note sheet, get out a pen and paper, because here's what I want you to remember. The future belongs to the bold. History doesn't remember the people who played it safe. Fortune favors the bold, and the future belongs to the bold. How many of you are praying for someone that you know and love, that you want them to come and know and love Jesus? You're praying for the day that they accept your invitation. They walk through these doors and they experience life change through Jesus. That every single one of you, there is a person that you know their name and you're going to get the privilege and opportunity to stand in that baptism water next to them as you dunk them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. I believe that that's for you. How many of you want to see that? We're going to talk about that during this sermon series. How many of you would love to learn how to pray prayers that that scare you, to pray prayers that get God's attention. How many of you would love to pray prayers that not only move mountains, but shake the heavens? We're going to talk about that during this sermon series. How many of you would love to discover your spiritual gifts? You would love to be able to find your place and your purpose. You would love to leave a legacy that lasts longer than just your short time here on earth, but that generations that come after you, their lives will be changed as well because of the way that you lived your life here today. You want that? We're going to cover that during this sermon series. How many of you would love to be able to use your resources, not in a way that just grows your little kingdom here on earth, but furthers the mission of God and grows the kingdom of God all across the world. How many of you would love to be able to plant churches in Muslim countries that are closed? How many of you would love to be able to send missionaries to the furthest reaches of the world? How many of you would love to be able to help plant churches, healthy, spirit-filled, gospel-centered churches in America? How many of you would love to be able to partner with organizations that work with young women and 
crisis pregnancies, be able to risk re rescue young girls who are being sold in and out of sex slavery. How many of you would love to be able to partner with Convoy of Hope as they provide disaster relief organizations to cities in the region that are devastated through hurricanes? How many of you would love to be able to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus? We're going to talk about that during the sermon series. And all of those things are only possible if you and me and we together as a church step out in faith. If we make a risk and if we are willing to be bold. I believe that the lessons that we cover during this series have the potential to change our church forever. And here's the reason why this series is so important. Because in one year, Redemption Church, if we do not step out in boldness, we will be homeless. This time next year, our lease on this building will be up. And personally, I do not believe that God has called his church to be renters. I believe that Beaumont needs to know that we are here to stay and we are not going anywhere. That Redemption Church is a safe place for anyone and everyone to experience the grace of God. And people shouldn't worry if we're going to be open tomorrow. They should know that we're going to be here for the next 10 years. And this sermon series has the potential to be able to reach thousands of people over the next 10 years because the future belongs to the bold. The future belongs to the bold. The future of our church depends on this. The future of your family and generations and children and grandchildren depend on this. The church in this season, in this moment, stepping out in risk and faith and willingness to be bold. And so here's what the dictionary defines boldness as. The dictionary says it is a fearlessness before danger. It is a daring spirit, willing to take risk, thinking beyond actions of imagination, daring to break the rules. It is courage. It is conviction. It is challenging. That's what we're going to be talking about during this series. This series is going to be convicting. This series is going to be stretching of your faith. It's going to cause you to think beyond what was imaginable or possible. It's going to help us break the rules. It's going to be courageous. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be convicting, but we're going to be bold through that. So before we dive into the series, let me go ahead and just set up an overview of where we are going. If you're taking notes, this week, week number one, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. The sermon title for today is called, I Will Be Bold With My Church. Do you love your church? Are you grateful that God has called you to be a part of this church? Are you happy and excited that you have found a place to call home here at Redemption? Are you willing to be bold with your church? Next week, we're going to talk about being bold with our prayers. Then after that, we're going to talk about bold serving. Then we're going to talk about bold invitations. And then lastly, we're going to learn from the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 what it means to be bold with our giving. But... That's not all. You say, Pastor Byron, there's more? Yes, there's more. There's much more, as seen on TV. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> We're going to do, for the first time, something new in our church. 
We are going to celebrate on March 7th our five-year anniversary as a church. Congratulations, Redemption. You made it five years. Those early days were a little rough. I was worried about you, but you made it five years. And so for our five-year anniversary, we didn't just want to do something big. We wanted to do something bold. So we're going to have what we are calling our one big bold birthday weekend. And on Friday night, March 5th, my friend Ted Slaughter and his band, they're going to come and they're going to have a worship night for us together as a church. So Friday night, there is a worship night here. And then he's going to lead worship on Saturday. He's like, we're having church on Saturday. Absolutely. So he's going to lead worship. And then my friend, Pastor Lance Faulkner from Bridgepoint Fellowship Church in Bridge City, one of the overseers, he's going to come preach a message on boldness. My friend Hope Moquin from Atlanta, she's going to come in and she's going to teach a message on Saturday night about boldness. And then on Sunday morning, Michael Moore from City Church Albany, from Resurrection Church in Brooklyn and Staten Island. Yeah, that's right. He's the pastor of three churches. How he does it, I don't even know because sometimes y'all are too much for me to handle. How does he do three? I have no clue. But he's going to come in, and he's going to bring a message over boldness, and he's going to inspire us, and they're going to equip us, and they're going to serve us, and they're going to minister to us, and they are going to give us the strength, the courage, the conviction for you and me as a church to step out in faith, to risk, and for us to be bold. So my question for you is, are you ready to be bold? One person on the front row is ready to be bold. The rest of you, the sermon is for you. Okay, we're going to be bold today, and if you are bold enough to bring your Bible to church, go ahead and pull it out. We're in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. This is going to be the theme for us here at Redemption for this series and campaign, and it comes from Acts 4, 31, where it says this, and when they, who's that? That's the church. The church gathers together they prayed. It's a prayer meeting in the early church. How many of you were here at our prayer meeting on Friday night? It was incredible. How many of you come to First Wednesday prayers on First Wednesday nights? It's powerful. The precedent that is set before us is that a church is to pray. And as we learn to pray, the church will begin to unleash God's power in our lives. And so they gather together, and what do they do? What does the church do? They prayed. So they prayed, in the place in which they were gathered together, it was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. There's our word, boldness. Circle it, underline it, highlight it, tattoo it on your forehead, because we're going to say this word a lot. Bold. Now, growing up in the assemblies of God and being an AG pastor myself, I've heard a lot of sermons over the book of Acts. How many of you have heard sermons over Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1? Okay, how many of you were raised Pentecostal charismatic? Let me see you. Go ahead, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise Pentecostal. Raise both hands. Okay, I know you want to. I know you want to. Pentecostal, so you just raise both hands. Now put your hands down, your tambourines, flags, whatever you brought, all of the worship paraphernalia that you have. Go ahead and just put it away for a little bit. Um, growing up, Assemblies of God, we loved preaching the book of Acts. All the Baptist people are like, mm, I don't know, is that, is, that, is that for real? Is that still for today? No, but we love preaching the book of Acts. Don't worry, Baptist, I'm going to get to you in just a little bit. There's something for you to love as well. But for the rest of us who weren't raised being taught Acts chapter 2, let me go ahead and bring you up to speed. 
So at the end of Jesus's life, after his death, burial, resurrection, he gathers his disciples together, his little core team, and he says, hey, guys, come on in here. Come on in here. Everybody huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. He brings them in and says, okay, guys, listen. I just conquered death. Now, here's the plan. You are going to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he teleports. Where did he go? <laughs> this is weird, isn't it? That's wild. I mean, Jesus just floated away like a balloon. Somebody should have put a string on him. He's just, there he goes. But this is crazy for a couple of reasons. Number one, teleportation is in the Bible. Number two, because the disciples, they had never left their hometown. They're just like normal fishermen who were chosen by God. I mean, they worked normal Joe jobs. They had families. They had fish guts underneath their fingernails. They probably said things that made their mama blush. I mean, they're just normal, ordinary people, probably wearing Nomexes, and they're like from Vider. Just think about it. That's the disciples. <laughs> but don't worry. The disciples changed the world. So if you're Vider, there's hope for you too. Okay. <laughs> and Jesus says, you're going to change the world. And they've never even left their hometown. This is before the church. The church did not exist at this time. There was no church. There were no buildings. There was no Facebook Live where you could click share right now and thousands of people could be able to hear the message of the gospel. I mean, this is before the church multiplication network. This is before denominations ever even happened. This is before worship pastors in skinny jeans. Before all of those things, this is, this is the church. They're gathered together. And they've never left their town. There's no cars, trains, planes, automobiles. There is no internet. How in the world are they going to reach the world? And then they remembered something. Before Jesus teleported, he told us that we should wait here and we should pray and we will receive power. So we should probably start praying. <laughs> And so they get alone in this upper room prayer meeting or during COVID, the upper Zoom prayer meeting. And so they're all gathered together and they're, they're hanging out and they're like, let's just pray. And they started praying and praying and praying. And that's when it happened. Or should I say, that's when he showed up. Who's that? It's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes like a mighty rushing wind. And then tongues of fire start resting on their heads. Like, you know, that's a prayer meeting when tongues of fire start resting on your head, right? They're like, this this is strange. This must be what Jesus was talking about. The Holy Spirit is here. And then all of a sudden, they started speaking in languages that they had never even heard before. Double weird. How many of you ever heard somebody speak in tongues? It's weird. Let's just go ahead and admit it. It's, it's weird, right? I mean, I remember the first time that I brought my Southern Baptist wife to my crazy charismatic church. And we, we sit in there, and I just remember we just started dating, and I was like, oh, please don't let anybody speak in tongues. And we're worshiping, we're singing shout to the Lord. And then all of a sudden in the back row, a woman stood up and she let it rip. Should have bought a Honda, but instead of bought a Kia. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And then Ashley turns and she looks at me and she goes, oh my God, what in the world is this? I was like, don't worry about it, babe. Don't worry about it, babe. 
But she didn't break up with me, and we're still married today. And I still speak in tongues, and she's still Baptist. Either way. <laughs> but it works. That's, that's how we're a healthy church, okay? That's how it works. It's strange. It's weird. But the people outside of that upper room meeting, they heard it too. And they thought, it's weird. And then they started accusing them of being drunk. They're like, these people are drunk. They're speaking in cursive. <laughs> right? Some of you, you know what speaking in cursive is? You're like slurring your words. You're like walking around. Like, You're so amazing. I love you so much. Right? Some of y'all on Friday nights be speaking in cursive. Y'all need to be in church speaking in tongues. Just let me say prayer meeting Wednesday night. All right? Be speaking in tongues. But they started accusing them of being drunk. And here is probably one of my favorite Bible verses. So you know it's a good one. They say, we have to say something. We can't just let them all think we're drunk. Peter, you got a big mouth. Why don't you say something? And so Peter stands up. He's like, okay, here we go. And it's the first sermon of the first church. Opening Sunday, the grand opening of the first church of church, okay? And so they go to preach. And here's what Peter says, Acts 2.14. But Peter, standing with the eleven. He lifted up his voice. Some of you wonder, Pastor Byron, why do you yell when you preach? Because it's biblical. He lifted up his voice and he addressed them. And he said, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you. Give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. He's like, we're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. That's the opening of the church. That is the first sermon of the church. But you know what God does? God, God blessed it. Because God loves to use ordinary people empowered by his spirit to do extraordinary things. And on that day, with that sermon, 3,000 people were saved and baptized in a single day. 3,000 people gave their life in a moment and an instant. And not only did they just pray a prayer and walk an aisle, but they got in those baptism waters, 3,000 baptisms. Ka-poosh, ka-poosh, ka-poosh. That deacon's arm is falling off like Tom Brady trying to win the Super Bowl. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was an amazing day. But you know what is even awesome? I mean, that's enough, right? But even better than that, you know what they did after church? They all went back to Peter's house, and they had a potluck. Acts 2.42 says the believers had everything in common. They broke bread, and they shared meals. I mean, that's enough to make the Baptists happy, too. Okay. I mean, there's something in Acts 2 for everybody. The Pentecostals are like, we love speaking in tongues. The Baptists are like, we like chicken spaghetti. You can have both. <laughs> we believe, we're Bapticostal here at Redemption, so we believe in speaking in tongues and eating chicken spaghetti, okay? And so you could actually have both. But I love preaching the book of Acts. I love studying and reading the book of Acts. I want to see the church be the church that is in the book of Acts. But the problem is, is that God has not called us to stay in Acts chapter 2. God has called us to the nations. God has called us to reach the world. God has called us to be able to serve and to seek and to partner with him in saving the lost. And the problem is, is you can't reach the nations in Acts chapter 2. 
You can't reach the nations if you stay in Jerusalem. You got to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then to the ends of the world. He has called us to reach the lost. And you don't do that if you stay in Acts chapter 2. I love Acts chapter 2. I love our church, and I believe that our church is an Acts chapter 2 movement. But every Acts chapter 2 moment eventually will come across its Acts 4 moments. There's a moment in the church where we have to come to a crossroads. Are we going to go back or are we going to move forward? Are we going to settle or are we going to take risk? Are we going to settle for less than God's best for our life? Or are we going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and step out in faith and be bold? Every Acts 2 movement eventually will come across in Acts 4 moments. And I'm going to share with you what it means to find yourself in the book of Acts chapter 4. But for now, let me just go ahead and encourage you that God has begun to answer the prayers of Acts chapter 2. I want to see our church be an Acts 2 movement. I want to see you reach your friends. I want to see you overcome your addictions. I want to see people's lives be changed. I believe that there will be a day in the history of our church where we will get the opportunity to see 3,000 souls saved, lives changed, and people baptized in one single day. I am praying for an Acts 2 movement. I am praying that our Redemption Leadership College will be able to raise up dozens of new deacons and elders and missionaries that we can send around the world. I am praying that as we partner with the Church Multiplication Network, we will begin to plant 10,000 new churches over the next 10 years. I am believing by God's grace for that. I am believing that whenever you pull up to a red light or a stop sign in Southeast Texas, there will be a R bumper sticker on the back of the car. I am believing for a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child can experience life change through Jesus. That is not just something that we say that's the reason we exist I believe it I want to see it and I believe that God has already begun to answer those prayers so let me show you our acts two beginnings five years ago me and my wife Ashley we moved here after a ministry assignment in New York with a burden in a heart and a vision to start a new life-giving spirit-filled church in Beaumont Texas and here's a picture of us when we moved here. I actually used to have real clothes. <laughs> they say that women age like wine, men age like milk. That is definitely true <laughs> because my hairline is receding, my waist is expanding, but look, Ashley's as beautiful as ever. Aww. But for us, this was, this was our Acts 2 beginnings. How many of you here in the very early days? Go ahead. Yeah, my sermons were just about as bad as Peter's. In fact, we went and deleted the whole first year history of the sermons of our church because they were so bad. I don't know why anyone stuck around, but just like Peter, God blessed it and God continued to bless our church as well. This is the beginning of our church. This is our very first prayer meeting. When me and Ashley moved here, we had no building, we had no budget, we had no people, we had no money, we had no clue what we were doing, but we believed that God wanted to do something great. And so we just gathered some friends who said, hey, would you come and pray with us? And so some friends gathered together and they prayed. This is actually Chris Stacy. It's a baby Chris Stacy. Um, he led our very first prayer meeting. Go back just one more time. 
Go back to baby Chris. Let's show that. Oh, okay. This is Chris Stacy. He led our very first prayer meeting. At the time, we didn't have a building, so other churches would take us in. So we would have Friday night or maybe a Wednesday night or maybe a Sunday night um, prayer meeting at another church. This was at a church in town called the 519 Church, and they let us come in, and they just let us begin to pray. And we would do that for several months, so much so that the local news heard about us, and they wanted to do an interview and a story on us. And so they, they met with us, and they came out, and they called us the Nomad Church or the Church Without a Home. That's, that's how we begun. But eventually, we did find a home because that's when we met Bo King. And Bo King opened up his old town apartment. Give it up for Bo. Talk about being bold. Bo opened up his old town apartment. This was the launch team for our church. And we're all hanging out that night. This is the launch team. Uh, This is about 12 of the young adults and college students that helped us launch it. Uh, The only other couple was my grandparents, and I think this was taken after their bedtime, so they weren't able to come to that. But we have 12 college kids and two grandparents who are planting this church, and God, he continued to bless it. So we're praying and we're asking God, where are you going to take us? Where are you going to lead us? But we still don't have a building. So we just kept praying and praying and dreaming and believing that God would open the doors and God would begin to provide a way. And after handling being rejected by the schools, the movie theaters, other churches, storefronts, office spaces, I eventually reached a point to where I was desperate. I was having a conversation with a pastor friend of mine. His name's Rick White. He's the pastor of Christian Fellowship Church here in Beaumont. And we were talking, and he said, have you ever considered having your church in a bar? I said, no, because I actually want people to come to our church. <laughs> so you should start your church in a bar. You should call Crockett Street and see if they'll let you start your church in the bar. He's like, nope, don't want to do it, can't do it, won't do it, no way, do not want to start our church in the bar. But after handling more rejection than a kid with tuberculosis on prom night, I was like, all right, fine, I'll go ahead and make the call. So I called and I said, uh, well, first of all, what I tried to do is I tried to sound more respectful than what I was really was. Right. So I'm like a 29 year old and I'm like, hi, yes, my name is Byron Ellis and I am the lead pastor of Redemption Church in Beaumont, Texas. I was wondering if our church could rent your bar so we could have Sunday services. And I was like, there's no way they're going to go for this. But a British guy named Andrew, he was like, yeah, absolutely. When do you want to start? I was like, Next month? They're like, sounds great. Come on down, sign the paperwork. And so on February 21st, 2016, Redemption Church opened its doors for the very first time at the gig on Crockett Street. With dead horse trauma. The best was whenever it said Redemption Church Drag Show. I was like, <laughs> that's one way to reach people, I guess. But, um, but God blessed it. And on our opening Sunday, we had 171 people in attendance. Look how happy I was. Look at that. Look how happy I was. Wow. Yeah. And over the next three months, we grew our church from 171 to 40. (laughs) And look, she's on her phone. She's not even paying attention. (laughs) But you know what? 
God, he, he continued to bless it. For the first three years, church was a little tough. Church was a little rough. I'll be honest with you. I mean, we would show up at 7 o'clock in the morning, every morning, and we would unload the trailer. Everything we owned as a church went in that trailer. And then they parked it in the back, my backyard. And they would come up in the morning. They would grab the trailer. We would drive it downtown. We would unload and reload, have church, tear it all down, park it, and then take a big fat nap. That was what happened every single Sunday for three years in our church. But God, he blessed it. And God continued to work and continued to move. And during that time, we actually began to see, this is our children's ministry. It was upstairs in a place called Dixie Daycare. Um, <laughs> Dixie Dance Hall. Affectionately titled for college night and underage drinking. But um, Dixie Dance Care. <laughs> but that was our children's ministry at the time, Okay. And we weren't really reaching young families at the moment because I thought, like, man, we have church in a bar. But parents were like, no, I don't want my kids to go in the same place they were conceived. That's just weird. But anyway, um, like, does he always say this? <laughs> Welcome to redemption. But God, he, he continued to bless it. And he continued to bless it. And we began to see God move. Listen, this, this was my favorite part of our church history. Uh, look at all the candles. And uh, yeah, we had candles all over the stage. And I, I was already dressed in all black and we had a bunch of introvert emo kids in the church at the time. And if anybody ever came to church, they're like, is this like goth church? What is the deal with this? I mean, and we would also sing songs like, uh, there is a fountain that's filled with blood. You ever heard that? It's like vampires for Jesus. It did not go well uh, for, for our church during that time. Um, but God, he continued to bless it. This is our first baptism as a church. It's Alex Summers. He was baptized here in our church. He still is a member of our church. He serves on our cleaning crew on Saturdays that come in. He cleans, he sanitizes, makes this whole place safe and secure so we can enjoy a Sunday. Uh, but God continued to bless it. That's our first baptism. This is Jimmy. He's actually uh, with our youth now. Many leaders in our church were saved and baptized during this time. So uh, Jimmy was baptized. Matt Stevenson was baptized during this season. And God just continued to grow it so much so that we had to move to two services. And then we outgrew the gig and they moved us upstairs to Dixie again. <laughs> and the church just continued to grow. At this point, I just started hearing from a lot of young adults, youth particularly. They're like, I love this church. And then their mom was like, hey, there's naked women on the walls and in the bathroom. You should probably cover that up. I was like, no wonder your kids love coming here. <laughs> Have you heard of Freedom Ministries? No. Okay. <laughs> but God continued to bless it. So eventually we reached the point to where we felt like God was burdening and putting it in our hearts to begin to pray and to move again. And so we just started praying. God, where do you want us to go? God, what do you want us to do? And that's when I came across this building that we're currently in. And all they had was this little sign that said, least space available. And I was just driving by, and I believe the Holy Spirit brought that to my attention. So I pulled over, and all they wanted to originally rent to us was the 800 square foot that is the kid's space. 
And I was like, our church ain't big, but we're bigger than that. Amen? Okay, I felt pretty good that day. And I was like, well, what about the rest of it? They're like, oh, you don't want that. And I was like, can we just take a look? Can we just see? They're like, you definitely don't want that. I was like, let me see. And so they took me in, and this is what it looked like. I was like, hmm, do I want this? <laughs> it was trash. There's garbage. We found hypodermic needles, prison IDs, 40 ounces, elliptical machines. So all the drug addicts are like, got to get my exercise in. <laughs> and there's also, go back one, go back another. And there's also tanning beds. So, so tanning beds, there you go, tanning beds. And right over there, there is a car. There was a 1960s car that was just parked here and time forgotten about it. I mean, it was garbage. But we felt like this is a place that we could call home. And just think about this. If God can do this to a building, what can he do with your life? Because here's what, with six months of hard work, of serving, of work days, building it out, me and Donnie and Bo up on a scaffold hanging. Me and Trevor actually met hanging one of these panels, and we spent two hours hanging panels. We got one done. <laughs> and then they had to come take it down and put it up correctly afterwards. But now we're friends. And this is me working, and that's Anna laughing at me. But here's what God did. God, through your giving, you raised $100,000 in six months. Through your work, your time, your prayers, the church went from this to this. And over the course of that year, our church grew from about 80 to 300 people in one single year. That's a 200% increase of church growth. And I'm telling you this because as we get ready to buy a building, it's not about the building. It's about reaching people. The building is just a tool. It's not about the building. It's about reaching people. It's about building the kingdom of God. And research has shown over and over again that when a church plants actually moves into their first permanent location that they own, a church will double in size within the first six months. And so we have the possibility to do this again, that we could go from 300 to 600, and maybe even in the next five, 10 years, we could be reaching thousands of people all across this region. That's what God does in the life of his church when we step out in faith and we be bold. Y'all were bold having church at Crocker Street. You were bold renovating this building, and I believe that by God's grace, we will be bold again. Over the last two years, God has done amazing things here at our church. Our Turkey Day giveaway, which we've been able to start because of our permanent facility, has reached hundreds of people during the holidays providing the meals. This year alone, at Turkey Day Giveaway, you guys gave away over 10,000 Thanksgiving pounds, pounds of Thanksgiving dinners to families who are in need. We started First Wednesday Prayer Nights, where we gather every Wednesday at uh, the beginning of the month, and we seek the face of God for prayer. We've been able to start a youth ministry. Our children's ministry has grown from six kids to more than 60 kids on a Sunday in that back room. We have staff. We have leaders. We have deacons. We're starting a redemption leadership college where we're going to be raising up uh, young pastors and elders and leaders in the church. 
church. You guys have given away almost $60,000 in missions locally and globally around the world with the Church Multiplication Network. We have planted hundreds of churches since we have been here, and we have seen over 100 baptisms in the last two years alone in this church. What does God do? God continues to bless it. There is story after story of people who have experienced life change through Jesus. And none of this would be possible if it wasn't for a church five years ago who prayed and believed and stepped out in faith in boldness. And God continues to bless it and bless it and bless it and bless it. We are living in an Acts 2 movement. God is so good to us. We're living right now. God is writing a chapter in the church and he wrote us and he saw it from Acts chapter one, the beginning with the prayer meeting, Acts chapter two with the baptisms and the dedications and the church growth. But the truth is, is that God never called us to stay in Acts chapter two. God is calling us to be bold because God is wanting to write a new chapter in the history of our church. Every Acts two movement has an Acts 4 moment. What happened in Acts 4? Persecution comes to the church. Opposition comes against the church. Peter and John are arrested and thrown in prison, and they're threatened. If you keep talking about Jesus, we're going to kill you. If you keep planting churches, we're going to crush you. We're going to arrest you, throw you in prison, beat you, flog you. We might even kill you. And they have a real crossroads moment that they have to make. It would have been very easy for them to go back to Acts chapter 2, wouldn't it? Whoop, I guess that's a little too much. I'm going to head back to the upper room. And we're going to sit here in our little holy huddles in Acts chapter 2. We really loved Acts 2. I mean, Pastor Peter, his sermons were fire, literally tongues of fire over his head. Everybody was in their small group. We had access to our pastor at any time we want. We could just go over to his house and eat his wife's chicken spaghetti. I really liked Acts chapter 2. Can we, just, can we just go back to Acts chapter 2? It was really safe. It was really comfortable. It was really convenient. But listen, God has not called you to stay in Acts chapter 2. God has called you to the nations. God has called you to make disciples to the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You can't reach the ends of the earth in Acts chapter 2. I mean, they could have said, well, this is enough trouble for us. I mean, this is, I didn't sign up for this, right? Whenever I became a Christian, I was like, oh, I didn't sign up for this. They told me if your life is hard, give your life to Jesus and it'll get better. And then you go to heaven. That's what they told me. They lied. Because now I'm facing persecution. It would be easy for them to think, this costs too much money. This is too much time. This is too much investment. They're asking me to be committed and take ownership. They're asking me to be a part of something that is bigger than myself. And I don't think my insurance covers martyrdom. Who's going to pay for this? That's what they could have said. But if they would have said that, like so many people say that, you and I wouldn't be here today. Because Acts chapter 4 brought opposition but it also brought along opportunity. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Opposition creates opportunity. This was a defining moment for them. What are we going to do? Are we going to shrink back? 
or are we going to be bold? And I love Acts 2. I'm Pentecostal. I'll preach Acts 2 again. But if I could put my finger on the defining moment of the early church, I would put it here in Acts 4 now. Because after Acts 4, you have Acts 6, where Stephen, along with seven other men, become the deacons of the very first church. And then you have a few chapters later, a man named Saul who becomes Paul and starts the greatest missionary movement the world has ever seen. You have the Ethiopian eunuch who gets saved and baptized and goes and plants churches in Africa, which according to church history, are still in operation. The oldest churches in Ethiopia, Africa, are still in existence today. And then you have Cornelius, the Gentile, who gets filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to speak in other languages, and he is included in the church. And now the Gentiles are welcome at the table. And if it wasn't for this decision-defining moment, you and me and all of us, we would still be in our sins, separated from God, with eternity in hell, no hope of the gospel, if they just wanted to stay in Acts chapter 2. This is the defining moment. What are we going to do? Some people saw opposition, but bold people, they see opportunity. I believe that as a church right now, we have a great opportunity. We have an opportunity that is right in front of us. And some people say, you're foolish. You mean you really want to buy a building in the middle of a pandemic? You're going to encourage your church to give $500,000 over the next two years above and beyond their normal offerings? You're going to invite them to come to church and baptize people? Don't you know that we're in a recession? Don't you know that Christianity is not trending on Twitter in a good way? Don't you know that nothing is working out in our favor? You need to play it safe. You need to be be calm. You need to chill out. You need to settle down. But God has not called us to settle down. God has called us to be bold. And where some people see an opposition, bold people see an opportunity. We have an opportunity that our church has zero debt. Last year was the best giving year that we have ever had as a church. Just in the last sermon series, we had dozens of people for the first time agreed to begin tithing to the church. We had six salvations during a video series. We've had three people who want to get baptized just in the last two weeks. Our youth ministry is growing. We don't have enough space for the kids in the back. We have our serve team is increasing. We're having next steps today with 20-something people going to come hang out and join another team. Everything is up and to the left. We are growing, rocking and rolling. Everything is really good and real estate is really low. So we have an opportunity. Some people would say that's opposition, but bold people say that's opportunity because opposition is the breeding grounds for opportunity of what God wants to do. Everything worth anything requires risk. History does not remember the people who played it safe. They don't write books about boring people. They write books about bold people. And what we are encountering right now is a moment and a chapter in our church where one day someone's going to write a book about it, where you're going to sit down with your grandchildren and you're going to tell them stories about what God did in the life of the church in this season. Can you just remember, just think about it. You and your wife, you're sitting there in your lazy boy rocking chair and you got your grandkids and they're all around. Say, let me tell you that story of one time during a pandemic, a global crisis, when everything was on fire and people were losing their minds. My pastor stood up on the stage 
And he preached a sermon telling me to be bold. And then we went and bought a building. And then thousands of people showed up. And we saw a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experienced life change through Jesus. And that's the reason you're here today, because somebody gave and opened the door for me. Opposition creates opportunity. They're in a moment of opposition. We're in a moment of opposition. But Acts 4 is really a moment of tremendous opportunity. Look what it actually says here in Acts 4.23. When they were released, they went to their friends, and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together and, God, and said, God, sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Why did the Gentiles rage? Why are people losing their minds? And the people's plot in vain. They just keep posting things on social media all of the time, plotting in vain. The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against the anointed one. For truly in this city, they were against your servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do what your hand and your plan had predestined to take Place And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. There's a word, boldness. Our persecution doesn't look the same as their persecution. I mean, they're being arrested and thrown in prison and fed to lions and set on fire and flogged, sure. And we're not being persecuted that way. But there is a day coming pretty soon, and I believe within our lifetime, that we will see persecution happen against the church. They're already advocating to take away the church's tax exemption status. And so that way, if we do not buy this building and we buy it 10 years in the future, we might have to pay property tax on that. And you say, oh, people should pay their fair share. Sure, but we're a 501c3 organization and so is the NFL and Planned Parenthood and neither of them pay property taxes on their property as well. And most churches in America, 80 people, just grandmas and people just trying to get by and then you're gonna try to take away because churches are nasty and evil and wrong. But yet Planned Parenthood and the NFL and Major League Baseball, they're able to purchase in their entire facilities through government funding and city funding. They didn't tell you that on CNN, did they? Oh, they, there's a day persecution is coming where people will say things about Christians that you wouldn't say about anybody else. Christians are ignorant, they're uneducated, they're anti-science, they're homophobic, they're bigoted, and we just don't really like them. Try saying that about any other portion of the population in America. Say that about people of color. Say that about the LGBTQ community. Say that about Muslims. Say that about left-handed people, anybody, and you'll offend them. But for some reason, it's okay for people to say that about Christians. Oh, there's going to be a day coming soon where we will endure persecution. But that's another chapter for another day. Our persecution looks a little bit different. They were being thrown into prison... We're in a pandemic. 
I mean, they, they, they were in, you know, solitary confinement. We're in social distancing and isolation. They had chief priests and scribes. We have Donald Trump and Joe Biden. They had the Roman government. We have big tech and Instagram and Twitter. That's, that's what we have. We have mask versus no mask. We have BLM versus MAGA. And the church is in between, and they can't make anybody happy. And we feel the tension and the opposition that the early church felt at the same time. But at the same time, we're in an economic recession. Depression is up. Anxiety is up. Drug abuse is up. Uh, sexual abuse is up. Alcoholism is up. And gun sales are up. And when you put all those things together, it's not a pretty thing. And the church then was struggling. The church now is struggling because one-third of Christians have stopped attending church altogether during COVID-19. One-third of Christians, they're not watching online. They're not involved in an online small group. They're not coming in person. They're not reading their Bible. They're not engaged in church. One-third, 30% of normal church Christian attending believers have stopped altogether since COVID-19. One out of every five churches will not reopen after covid 50% of churches in America have reported a significant decline in their tithes and offerings in the last year. And Tom Rayner, one of the leading Southern Baptist missiologists, he says over the last 30 years, he has seen, never seen a mass exodus of pastors leaving the ministry due to discouragement. The church is struggling. And for many people, they would see it as an Opposition. I was having dinner with some pastors, and they're like, what are you going to do? How are you going to reopen after COVID? How is your church doing? What is your plan? And I said, here's my plan. We're going to be bold. We're going to buy a building. We're going to renovate it. And in two years, we're going to double in size. That's my plan. Yeah. Yeah. Said, some people might say, that's foolish for doing that. I think it's foolish not to do it. Because God did not call us to play it safe. God called us to risk. God calls us to step out in faith. God calls us to be bold. And the future belongs to the bold. The future, there are lives at stake. There are eternity at stake. There is children and grandchildren. There are marriages. There are addictions. There is hope. There is life. There are eternal souls that matter to God at stake and hanging on the line. And what we believe is that every soul matters to God. And because every soul matters, we must be bold. The future belongs to the bold. So are you ready to be bold? That was my introduction. Go ahead. <laughs> Let me give you five lessons from the early church about how we can be bold. The first thing is this, is that the early church gathers together. And when they were released, they went to their friends. Listen, as a church, we need each other. We cannot do this on our own. But I don't get paid that much. <laughs> but if we do it together, then it's possible. Look, they needed their friends. When trouble comes, where do you run to? Who do you go to in moments of opposition? Some people run away from the church. Some people run away due to guilt or shame, condemnation. Some people run away due to pride. Some people run away from church. But what do they do in moments of crisis and in times of need? They run to the church. And we have this golden opportunity right now for us to gather together, whether in person or online, 
however you feel safe and comfortable to do it, but make sure that we're gathering together as a church because God did not create us to live life alone. He made us to be in relationship and in community with one another. Hebrews tells us, do not forsake the gathering uh, together or the assembly as some have done to their own detriment, but rather stir one another up for good love, good works, and good deeds. That's what happens when we gather together. Sure, you can have your private prayer time. That's wonderful. Sure, you can listen to KSBJ or the recent Spotify worship album that you've been jamming. You can listen to those things. You can have your daily quiet time with your ESV journal Bible, and you can do little doodles in that. All those things are fine, but there's something that happens when the church gathers together. You can't get on your own. And so when we gather, you encourage me. I encourage you. The Holy Spirit inside of you inspires the Holy Spirit inside of me. And when my faith is weak, I can borrow yours for the day. We build one another up in most holy of faith. You got to gather together. However, whether you're watching online or you're here in person, we got to do it together. We can't do it alone. The next thing we see is that the church prays together. They gather together. And guess what they did? They lifted up their voices to God and they prayed. I want you to notice, this is not me praying. This is not our church staff praying. This is you praying. This is the church praying together. Every single member, person who calls it home, hitting their knees in the morning and in the evening and in the night, going before God, petitioning the throne of heaven, praying and believing that God is going to do what only God can do, that the church would pray. A church is only limited by the size of its prayers. Do you want to see God do something amazing? You got to pray. Do you want to see God change and transform a city? You got to pray. Jesus says, You want to see your friends saved? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. You got to pray. You got to pray. You got to pray. And when the church prays, that's when the church receives power. We got to be people of prayer. The church prays together. The next thing we see is that the church, it actually believes together. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak the word of God with boldness. And stretch out your hands to heal, and signs and wonders will be performed through your holy name. I mean, they get real charismatic here. I mean, listen, they're like signs and wonders. Oh, God, your Shekinah glory is going to come down, and it's going to start raining gold dust. They get No, I'm just kidding. But they get really, really fired up. They get really charismatic, okay? They bust out those tambourines and flags in this moment. But you know what they're doing? They're believing God to do the impossible. They're believing God to do something incredible in their midst. They're believing God. Are you believing God to do something in your life? Are you believing God to do something in this church? Are you believing God to do what only God can do? Are you believing God? I'm believing for you. I'm believing for you. I'm believing that every single one of you, you have someone on your heart that you want to go share the gospel with, but you've been afraid. I'm believing in this series, you're going to be bold and you're going to step out and you're going to do that. I am believing for you. I am believing for you that you can overcome your addiction, that you can overcome that depression. I am believing that God will reconcile that marriage for the prodigals who have abandoned the faith and run away from home. I'm believing that this year is the year God is bringing 
back the prodigal sons and the prodigal daughters, and he's creating a safe place that they can call home. I am believing that your kids will come back to you. I am believing God that he is going to increase your resources. I am believing God that he is going to open doors of opportunity in your life. I am believing that there's a dream inside of you that you've been too afraid to take hold of, but this year God's going to bring those dreams back to life. I am believing that you have a purpose. I am believing that God has a plan for you. I am believing that you did not walk in these doors on accident, that God brought you here because he knows that you've got something that you can offer and that you can contribute, and this is the year of breakthrough in your life. I am believing for you. I am believing that there is a gospel-centered movement in the heart of this city just waiting to come to life. I am believing that every man and woman and child in Beaumont, Texas is worthy to hear the good news of Jesus and they have a dignity inside of themselves and they are waiting to be resurrected back into new life and new life that only comes from him. I am believing. Will you believe with me? The church believes together. And then the church grows together. Because the natural result of spiritual growth is numerical growth. I mean, you can't go around sharing your faith and not have somebody come to church with you. I mean, you can't pray for an hour a day every single day and not get an answer to prayer. I mean, you can't give of your tithes and offerings and resources above and beyond and not see soul saved. You just, you can't do it. It's the natural overflow of what God is doing. And see, for a long time, I thought that church growth came from better parking. True story. I thought one of the best ways for us to grow the church was to have really cool social media with a great website and we could run a Facebook ad that's targeted to specific demographics and then we would be able to grow the church. I thought one of the best ways to grow the church was to have plenty of signs and have really awesome parking lot people with pop signs out the front that said, you look amazing today as people drove by. I thought that was the way to grow the church. I thought the way to grow the church was really cool sermon series that were enticing and edgy. I thought that was the way to grow the church. And we grew the church for sure. But for three years, we grew it on our own efforts. And we've reached a place to where we can no longer do it on our own. And I just remember thinking in 2019, God spoke to me and he said, Byron, he said, do you want to grow the church my way or your way? Because there's programs and then again, there's power. There's paid advertisements, and then there's God's presence. And do you know what the secret to church growth is? All those things are good. We have our volunteer team with pop signs. We have flags. We got a great parking lot. I'm believing for all of those things. But you know where church growth really comes from? Men and women like you who are so overwhelmed with God's love, you can't keep it to yourself. That's what grows a church. Men and women who are so desperate and hungry for a move of God that they are willing to do whatever it takes and risk anything to be able to see somebody meet Jesus. That's what grows a church. And then we'll get some more parking signs. 
but the church grows. My daughter's almost five. I would never look at my daughter and say, stop growing. But that's what some people do to their church. They want to go back to Acts 2. They don't want it to grow. How, how, how big do I want my daughter to grow? She just hit a gross spurt. She's almost as tall as her mom. If you're watching online, baby, I'll give you a foot rub later. Okay. I want my daughter to grow as big as she can. No more, no less. I want her to reach her full potential of the DNA that's inside of her. And that's what God wants for his church too. So how big can redemption get? However big God allows us to grow. And I'll be fine with that. But I don't want to limit what God wants to do. And so during this series, there's a couple of things we're going to teach over. And just as a dad, I have a responsibility to make sure that my daughter is able and has the environment to grow as healthy as she can. So I make sure she takes her vitamins, she eats well, she sleeps. <laughs> if you have a four-year-old, you've got stock and chicken nuggets and popsicles, you're good. <laughs> and make sure that she only eats ice cream at least once a week unless she's at Nana's house and then she can have it anytime she wants. Other than that, I want my daughter to grow. Bold serving, bold giving, bold prayers, bold invitations. These are the healthy things that will allow a church to grow. And when you begin to put these things in your heart and soul, the natural byproduct of that is, is growth. The overflow of spiritual health is numerical growth. And so we want to help you get spiritually healthy. And the last thing that happens is the church is just, they're bold together. The church is bold together. It says, and when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I want you to see that this is not the pastor who's bold. Some of you, you're probably thinking right now, because I know you, right now you're probably thinking, you're like, Pastor Byron, you got me. You got me that whole part, believing and being strong and being bold. Woo, that was really good. You got me. I was on the edge of my seat. I was right there with you. And then I remembered, I'm not the pastor. You're the pastor. You're supposed to be the one who's bold. I'm just a normal person. I'm just an ordinary person. I'm not very bold. And so that doesn't, that doesn't matter for me. But I want you to notice, who was bold here? They were. When they had all prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This isn't for the pastor. This is for the people. See, you actually have the potential to reach more people than I ever could because people actually have to come listen to me speak. You can go to them. You know, you can reach people at your job that I never have the opportunity to reach. You could be able to reach people as a, as, a, as a mom that I would never be able to reach, people as a parent, as a dad, working at the plant, at the high school, at your college, universities. Like, I can't go yell at colleges. People already think I'm strange. I've been arrested three times for, that was a long time ago, by the way. <laughs> but if I do that at the college campus, probably not going to go well. But you know what? You have relationships there. I, I tell you this all the time. I am not the most important person in this church. Ashley, no, I was kidding. I am not the most important person in this church. Do you know who is? You are. Because you, every single one of you, have the ability to reach more people than I ever could in my life. It doesn't matter how big the church is, because you and me, we together are the church. And so for those of you who are like, Pastor Byron, I'm not bold. I want to speak life into you. I want to tell you that, in fact, you are bold. Do you know why I know that you can be bold? Because you already are. 
Boldness is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit in your life. As the moment you became a Christian, God himself took up residence in your life. God lives inside of you. If that don't make you bold, I don't know what else will. That the living God, the Alpha, the Omega, the creator of the universe, the one who holds stars into the galaxy and dug oceans with his hands lives inside of me. The same God that hovered over the waters in the beginning of creation lives inside of me. The same God that breathed life into Adam and Eve is breathing life inside of me. The same God that empowered through the Holy Spirit, the judges, the kings, and the prophets the ones that only got just a little taste on the outside of them and anointing for a moment now resides inside of me, you can be bold because you are bold. Boldness is a byproduct of a life filled with the Holy Spirit. I know you are bold. You know why? Because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Because God lives inside of you. My hope and goal for this sermon series is that I'm able to unleash the boldness that has been held captivity inside of your hearts. You are bold. Because you have God, the Holy Spirit inside of you. I know you can be bold. Because boldness is a byproduct of a life lived with the Holy Spirit. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Then you're bold. And so I want to encourage you. You are bold. I know you are. I've seen God do so much in your life. You are bold. You are bold. You are bold. You're bold. You're bold. You are bold. And my hope and prayer during this series is I will inspire you to where the boldness that God has placed inside of you now comes out and it begins to overflow in your life. Redemption, you're bold because you've been bold. You were bold since the beginning. You were bold enough to have church at a bar on Crockett Street. With dead horse trauma. You were bold enough to renovate an old warehouse in downtown Beaumont and turned it into a new home. But now are you, do do y'all want to see the new building? Do y'all want to see the new building? Do do you want to see, I mean, are you bold enough to want to see the new building? I mean, I'm bold enough to show you. Are you bold enough to watch it? You want to be bold enough to see? You want to see, do you actually, are you ready to see the new building? I don't know where it's at. I don't know what it looks like. That's why we're in Acts chapter 4. Because they didn't know either. They didn't know what God was going to do. But they were bold enough to trust him. And they were bold enough to step out in faith. And they were bold enough to risk. Redemption, I don't know what the future holds. But if you're taking notes, write this down. We know who holds the future. And his sovereign hand has predestined and planned. And he has something available for us. And I want to know what it is. I don't want to settle for Acts 2. I want the nations. 
I want to reach the world. I want to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus. And I never want to settle for less than what God's best for our church is. So will you join me in being bold together? Will you be bold with me? If so, under your seat, there is a card. You don't have to fill this out today, but I want you to take it home and I want you to begin praying over it. In this card right here is a pledge card. This is going to help us raise the funds to purchase and renovate our new home. This is above and beyond giving. That's not coming out of your tithes. This is whatever God lays on your heart. And so I want to challenge you over the next couple of days and weeks to just pray about what God would, God would en enable you to give. Some people, their above and beyond giving is $10. But $10 comes out to be over $1,000 during the campaign. So if you feel like, well, I can't give $1,000, you can give $10 a week, and that'll be $1,000. Others of you, it'll be $10,000 over the course of the campaign. But whatever it is and whatever God lays on your heart, on February 21st, I want you to come and just slip this into the offering baskets. On February 21st, we're going to have our kickstart offering for the Be Bold Building Campaign, where you're going to make your pledge, and you'll bring your best gift, whatever it is of that day. And you just bring an offering, you drop it in, kickstart the campaign with your pledge on February 21st, and we'll announce the full pledges on uh, the anniversary of how we have done. And we're going to continue talking about this during the time. But I just want to encourage you guys. You were bold before, you can be bold again. And I want to inspire you to let the boldness that's inside of you come out.